So why did River Life plant a second campus out in Brooklyn Park? To grow. The answer is quite simple. But why are we trying to grow in the first place? Well, in this series, each week we give you a different answer to that question. And so last week, we grow because it's God's plan for humanity. You see, from the very beginning of creation, that we were made in God's image, and it was God's plan to increase his image on earth. And that was his command to us. Make more of God's image. And then in Jesus Christ, something changed. It wasn't just that we made more little people, because with God's image also came sin. So as God's image increased, sin increased. But in Jesus Christ, who is the perfect image of God. See, we are, we are sort of flawed and marred images, but Jesus, he was the perfect image of God. And in Jesus, we can once again have more of God's image for God's glory here on earth. So growth was defined as the increasing God's image here on earth through the increase in the number of disciples and churches. And so that's how we're defining growth. It is not the number of people attending River Life. River Life St. Paul, River Life Brooklyn Park, River Life, what, Milwaukee? I don't know what the next one is going to be yet. It's not about increasing the number of people, but it's increasing God's image here on earth. And so this week, that was last week. So this week, why grow? It's Jesus' mission for us. So today we're going to dive deeper into this idea, this command to multiply, to increase disciples, God's image here on earth by making more disciples. Now, one of the fun parts of, of being married is imagining what your kids will look like. And I, and I imagine every newly married couple, even those dating and engaged, start to think about that question. Oh, what would our kids look like? And as most of you probably know by now, um, my wife Pofo and I, we can't have children. And, and that's actually one of the things that we lament, is that we've never been able to see what our kids would look like. Because you all know interracial babies are just adorable. And it's like, man, we missed out on that. So I turn to the one place that all hypothetical questions can be answered, the internet. So thanks to makemebabies.com, I can now imagine what our kids would look like. So here's our little make-believe family. So here's our little boy. Okay, I could kind of see that one. Okay, uh, here's our little girl. Dang, okay, what happened with that hair? She clearly did not get that from me. That's like 80s big hair right there. <laughs> and then finally, did you know we had another girl? Well, here's our other girl. Okay, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. How did our little, turn, little girl turn Blasian? <laughs> Should I get a paternity test on this one? Because <laughs> I'm getting a little, I'm a little wondering about this. But yes, so thank you to MakeMeBabies.com for absolutely ridiculous photos. And a little creepy at that. Uh, well, see, we all understand what it, what it looks like to make more of us. 
but what does it look like to make more disciples? What does it look like? It's got to be more than just plugging in a couple photos on the internet. See, that's J Jesus' mission for us, to make more disciples. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, when I say make disciples, some of your minds immediately go to one certain passage. This passage is, is commonly referred to as the Great Commission. And some of you, your brains immediately went there. When I started talking about make disciples, you thought about the Great Commission. Some of you have no idea what that phrase means, what that verse is. And that's okay. So this phrase, Great Commission, this comes out of Matthew 28, okay, particularly 19 through 20. And here it is. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the end of the age. See, this verse, this passage, is often used as the bedrock of overseas missions. It pops up in every single missions conference you've ever been to. Uh, it shows up in inspiring videos. We use it as sermon bumpers. You can even find this thing plastered on every item from coffee mugs to mouse pads to tattoos to whatever you want. You can find this verse on, on it. And so, and, and there's a reason for that. It is probably the most comprehensive and theologically rich set of verses to talk about overseas missions. So it's commonly used for good reason. Uh, so for centuries, missions has been the core or a core aspect of the church. But over the last 10 to 15 years, a lot of aspects of overseas missions have really come under scrutiny. And... and in this scrutiny, there's, there are a number of parts that have been identified in over, overseas missions that are really problematic. And so I thought I'd share four of them with you. So these are some of the problems with missions as, as they've been done in the past and present. So first is the history of Western missions. So this history of missions is filled with colonialism, ethnocentrism, and a whole lot of white savior mentality. So it, it, it essentially in the early days, enlightened Europeans would go out to save the savages. And that's how missions were seen for centuries. And often as missionaries shared the gospel, and I should say as white European missionaries shared the gospel, they would also force Euro-Western values and customs on natives living around the globe. And often people would, and their cultures would be eradicated at the hands of Christian missionaries. Uh, in fact, this is starting to show through research. Barner had some recent research that revealed that um, one-third of Christians 18 to 34 saw pat the history of missions work as unethical. A whole third of millennial Christians viewed the history of missions as unethical, and rightly so. Okay, number two. In 2019, there was a book, or 2009, there was a book called, published called When Helping Hurts. And it was, it was an amazing piece, and it has actually become a, a standard, a seminal work on the topic of serving the poor. 
And what it identified was a lot of the ways that the American church approached serving the poor and overseas missions were actually doing more harm than good. It called into questions the ethics and effectiveness of a lot of really common missions practices. And it's still used to this day as, as training material for overseas missions now. So that's the second one. The third one is some will argue that the cost of overseas or of short-term missions is not a good use of money. For what it would commonly take to send a team of 10 people overseas for two weeks, you could take that same amount of money and fund a resident missionary for three months. You could fund and, and pay the salary of an indigenous uh, local pastor for six to nine months. And we spend it on two weeks. That's problematic. And then lastly, even the term Great Commission, even this term Great Commission is problematic. See, it's called that, that this passage was called the Great Commission, to bring it on par with what Jesus called the greatest commandment, which is to love God. That's the first, and the second is to love others. And so here's a verse that's been come to be known as the Great Commandment, uh, sorry, the Great Commission, to put it on par with that. The problem is, the term Great Commission doesn't exist in the Bible. At least with the other one, Jesus himself called it the greatest commandment is to love God, and the second is to love others. In fact, I learned as I was studying and reading up for this sermon that the term Great Commission was really popularized only 100 years ago. The first evidence of it was about in the 1700s, but it didn't really catch on until a famous missionary, Hudson Taylor, around the turn of the century popularized its usage, and now it's become standard. That means for, for 1,700 to 1,900 years, this was not called the Great Commandment or the Great Commission. So even that, to elevate something on par with what Jesus himself called the greatest commandment, and it's only been that way for about 100 years. So as I've studied this, and as I've thought about this sermon, I've, and even over the last five to ten years, as I've reflected on missions, I've really struggled with this. And a lot of time, and I still don't entirely know what to do with missions. Because for me inside, I've got three conflicting points. Imagine those corners of a triangle that all are conflicting with each other. So for me, it's been three things. So first is, the Bible is full of commands to share Jesus, to go outside your comfort zone, outside your city, to go and share Jesus and make disciples. The Bible is full of those commands and those models. They can't simply just be ignored. So that's one corner of this triangle. Another corner is that there's a growing, as I've shared, there's a growing body of thought and evidence identifying very real problems with the way that, that missions have been done, especially, especially from white American 
well-off churches. There are a lot of problems with the way missions have been done in, in white American well-off churches. And then the third point of this, third tension that I'm struggling with is after high school, I went on a short-term mission to Haiti. And it was both spiritually and culturally significant for me. In fact, I had a couple experiences on that trip that have directly shaped things I do pastoring this church. And that was 35, 32 years ago. So I have these three tensions, and, he, and I went on that mission trip with a white American well-off church. And while there, will, there were still problems as I look back, it was also very core and fundamental. It was very forming for me as a young Christian. So what do I do with this? And I've generally struggled with that question. Even as we've sent mission teams down to Envision Chicago, we came really close to sending one to Germany. And we've got two trips planned, one in Germany, back to Germany this summer, and then another one back to Germany in next spring in 2023. And so even as I'm planning and supporting missions trip, I'm struggling with it. So what am I supposed to do any, about, with all of this? What am I supposed to, what are you supposed to do? Maybe you've had some of these thoughts. And if you haven't before, and all of a sudden this barrage of stuff that I just threw at you, maybe you're sitting going, why do we even do it? If all of this is so bad, why do we even do this? What do we do with these tensions that exist? Certainly in me, and maybe some of them in you. Well, thankfully, we don't have to struggle to find that answer because I, think, I, I genuinely believe that the Bible offers some insights into this. See, let's begin by revisiting that passage from Matthew that we, that we read not too long ago. Again, this is the one that's commonly called the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything Everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you, always to the very end of the age. Now, did you know that this isn't the only time that Jesus gave this type of command to his followers? During the times between his death, resurrection, and ascension back to heaven, every one of the four Gospels and the book of Acts records a similar great commission, a similar command to go, to make disciples. And each one paints a fuller picture. So I don't think we have to hang our hat 100% on this verse that 100 years ago was called the great, named the great commission. Instead, let's look at all of these, all five of these passages, and we can begin to see a broader picture of what Jesus' mission for us is all about. Now, this one, because there are five passages, I actually included this on your, your handout, your bulletin. If you didn't get a bulletin, this is one you want to grab. And I'll try and flag someone in the back who, who could grab some bulletins. If you didn't get one, um, raise your hand. Looks like Mark's, thank you, Mark, is going to go, there you go. Yeah, if you didn't get one, raise your hand and get one, because on the back page, everyone go to the back page of that. 
I've listed out all five passages, and I went a little nutso with the highlighters. The, I basically gave you a little mini Bible study on the back of your bulletin here. And we're going to talk about that over the next few minutes. So the first one of one of these commands that Jesus gives is, is out of Matthew 28. It's the one we've read a couple times. But that's not the only one. Now, if you go to the next one, that's Mark. Mark 16, 15 to 16. Here's what he says. And again, this is Jesus talking to us. This is the resurrected Jesus talking to his disciples. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Which, by the way, that's probably my favorite line out of all of these. Because do you realize what this says? Is go and preach the gospel to all creation. You could go up and be preaching the gospel to trees, to dogs, to birds, whatever you like, man. <laughs> go preach it. So I'm going to be reading the Bible two by two Yorkies this afternoon and fulfill Mark 16. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. He says a similar thing in Luke. That's Luke 24, the next one there. He told, he told them, again, Jesus talking to his disciples and followers, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. And I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Now he says, it's recorded again in John, something different. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. There we go. And I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And then in Acts, as if all four Gospels weren't enough, the book of Acts, Acts 1.8. Uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that means Jesus spent a lot of time talking in different ways about this mission that he's sending his people, his followers off to do. And what's amazing about all of these is, did you notice similarities? That's what all the highlighting on the back of the bulletin is. We've got, yet, we've got blue, and you could trace all the theme, the similar themes across in blue or yellow, or et cetera, et cetera. And so we're going to run through that and see there are three main themes that I, I identified out of those, these five passages. Three of them, and they're at the top of your handout right there. Mission, Promises, people, and places. All of those commands have those three components in them. Mission, promises, people, and places. And so let's look at some of them. So Jesus gives them a mission. Now, try, follow all of those words as they go along down the page. Jesus says, go, make disciples, baptize, teach, preach, be witnesses. Forgive. I've never heard that preached at a, good, a Great Commission service before. But that's core of Jesus' mission. 
is to offer forgiveness and be forgiving. Jesus also makes promises over and over again through here. He promises his authority, his presence, peace, power, the promised Holy Spirit. And then Jesus gives his followers people and places. All the world, all nations, all creation. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. That's like saying your city, county, and state. To the ends of the earth, to the ends of the age. People, places that he calls them to. Now, when you think about the, term, the, the idea of Jesus' mission, is that what you think of? Is that what you picture? Or do you think of something else? What would this look like? What would Jesus' mission look like in your life? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus is giving you the same command as he gave them. So what would, what would Jesus' mission look like in your life? Well, let's start with the idea of mission. Okay, so let me tell you a little secret. Everybody has a mission. Everybody has a mission that they're living by. You might even have a couple of them. You see, that you have a mission. This mission drives your thoughts your decisions, your values, your priorities. And this phase of your life might be different than your previous phase in your life. You might have had a different mission back then. And you might have a different mission in a decade or so from now. But we all have a mission. So the only question is whether you're aware of it and you're honest enough to admit it. Here's some, some common missions. And maybe one of these resonate with you. Maybe your mission is to make money, build financial security. Maybe your mission is to have a strong family or be deeply involved in your clan. Maybe your mission is simply to have fun. Maybe your mission is to be liked, to be appreciated. Or maybe you just strive to be a good Christian and you think that's God's mission for you. We all have a mission. So the question is not whether you have a mission. The question here is does your mission align with Jesus' mission for you? You have a mission. Does your mission align with Jesus' mission? Is that what, what you see on the screen? Is that what you think of with, with your personal mission? Now let's talk about promises. So Jesus made some amazing promises. And believe it or not, we all have promises we re rely on. You, you believe, I believe promises. Maybe we grew up our parents telling us things. Maybe we've... We've seen them out on, it's our favorite Instagram quote. Maybe it's the thing we say in the dark of night when we're trying to justify things we know we shouldn't have done. See, we all have promises. And so here are a few common promises that might be driving you. 
Hard work pays off. That's a promise. Family is everything. Go ahead and insert your own favorite Fast and Furious joke in here. There we go. Okay? Maybe family is everything. Maybe your promise is that success gives you value and worth. Or maybe, quite simply, your promise is YOLO! You only live once, which, by the way, is just a, about a 3,000-year-old version of eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. Maybe that's your promise, is you only live once, so live it up. Or maybe your promise is you are your best self. Invest in yourself. It is inside you. The power and the truth is inside you. You just have to work to find it. Maybe that's your promise. We all have promises. In fact, you can probably go to your Facebook or your Instagram, and it wouldn't take you too long to scroll back to find one of the promises that you follow. So again, the question, the, the, the question is not whether you follow promises. The question really is, do you rely on Jesus' promises or your own? As you live your life, do you rely on Jesus' promises or your own promises? Promises that your parents have told you, that your culture has told you, that your career, your work has told you. Maybe promises that church has told you. But do you rely on Jesus' promises or your own? We got one more. Let's talk about people and places. Now, who are you called to? Where are you called to? See, if, if we're all honest, most of the ways we spend our time, money, and energy are meant to build our own kingdom. Whether that's your family, whether that's your career, your reputation, your status, your body, whatever it is, most of the stuff we do deep at its core is to build our own kingdom. But you see, Jesus is calling us to people and places that are so much bigger than our puny kingdoms because they're a part of God's grand, eternal kingdom. See, he's calling you and he's calling me to participate in bringing his kingdom from heaven to earth. The prayer we just prayed earlier in service, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's what Jesus is calling us to do, is bring his kingdom down to earth. That's to get more of his image for more of his glory. See, now this one is different for every believer. That if you are a follower of Jesus, that God has a unique kingdom calling for your life. See, Jesus gave everybody the same mission. He gave everybody the same promises. But he calls us each to a unique kingdom calling. So what unique kingdom calling is Jesus calling you to? What people is he calling you to? 
What places is he calling you to? So, for example, if you've been around River Life, you've seen me around here. And, and God has given me a unique calling to love and serve the Hmong community. And God willing, I'm going to do that until I die. Because that's what he has called me to do. I don't expect that calling on other people. There are plenty of others who have a calling to love and serve the Hmong community. Some from inside and some from outside. But that's what he's called me to do. And that's, he has called me to build and grow River Life Church and make disciples in River Life Church. That's his unique calling. So I make disciples here among next-gen Hmong and beyond. Where do you make disciples? With whom do you make disciples? What has God called you? What, what is your unique calling? And my desire, when we, when we talk about church and serving and volunteering and all that, my, my greatest desire is that we can help you live out and figure out your unique calling. If part of that is singing or greeting or serving coffee, awesome. But if you already have an idea of what your unique calling is, during our potluck after service, you come up to me and you say, God's calling me to do this. And you know what? We're going to figure out how to help you do that. And if the ministry doesn't exist in River Life already, we'll make it. Because we want to help every one of you. We don't want you to just serve somewhere because you feel you should and part of a church and good Christian and blah, blah, blah. Nah. I want you to discover what it means for God to call you to something uniquely you. Just like he has called me to something uniquely me. So, to close, I want to summarize all of those passages, all five of those passages, and, and it's in two big sentences. And now, I don't want to take credit for this one, because so I, I found this from an, a church up in Ontario, Canada, Forest Baptist, so I, this is not original to me. I want to give them all the credit for this. So why did River Life plant a second campus? Why did River Life plant a second campus in Brooklyn Park? Why are we already talking about a third campus? It's in order to participate in this. The mission of the church is to make disciples by preaching the message of Jesus Christ to the whole world, baptizing those who respond, and teaching them to obey Christ, especially in forgiving others. The church is under the authority of Christ and strengthened by the Holy Spirit, whom the Father has promised to proclaim the message with divine power. Will you join us in this? Will you join us in Jesus' mission? Will, will you put your trust and rely on his promises? And will you begin or discern or begin or continue a process of discerning his unique calling of people and places for your life.
So I ran across an amazing phrase as part of one of the more recent Barner researches on mission and evangelism. And it's, and it's this. In case you get stuck with the, well, I, I can't go to Germany. I can't get that time off from my job and my kids and this and that. And you know what? This calling, this mission from Jesus is proclaiming Jesus Christ wherever you are. Every one of you is somewhere. It's simply proclaiming Jesus wherever you are. And I love that definition of mission. So will you join us and be on mission together? If you want to know, if you want to figure out how to figure out your calling, come talk to me. Come talk with one of the other leaders. We would love to help you, help you discover and unleash you for divinely called mission. Join me in prayer. God, we thank you, we praise you that you are a missionary God. You came to us long before we ever came to you. And you have been coming to your people for millennia. Thank you for that, God. Thank you that we do not follow a command, but we follow a characteristic of you. You're, you are a God who goes out. And for every follower in Christ here today or watching us online, we believe in you because you came to us. You sent yourself to us. And thank you. The, the ultimate missionary God moment was when you sent your son, Jesus Christ. To make up his, his residence, his home with us. And then to eventually die for us. The death we deserve. To provide the forgiveness that we can't earn. So thank you for being a missionary God. And we praise you for that. And we pray that we can be a missionary people. Wherever we are. God, I especially pray. Help every person in here and every person watching to discern your unique calling, the unique calling you have on their life for such a time as this. So we thank you, God. We thank you. You are a missionary, sending, going God. And you came to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.